0: Tommy, we got Randy on the line. What do you want to ask him?
1: Uh, Randy, you say, like, you want operators who are cut and dry, plain and simple, like relatively boring. Now, is that just for one asset class, or do you like to see operators who can play the different fields?
2: I think track record starts long before people get into commercial real estate. So you've got a track record back to high school, into college, into your service right now. So I think your expertise can translate into other avenues and ultimately as a new guy just getting started you have to rely on that because that's the track record and credibility you have to share
0: this is the diary of an apartment investor podcast and i'm your host brian briscoe Very excited for today's show. Got two great guys on the line with us. Uh, we got our experienced investor Randy Smith and our aspiring investor Tommy Ferraco. So, guys, welcome to the show today. Thanks, awesome. Brian. Glad to be here, Brian. Awesome, and. Randy, uh, just for the listeners, Randy knows this, but uh, I, I just came on his podcast recently, The Gentle Art of Crushing It. I think that's an awesome podcast name, by the way. I mean, if, if I had a do-over, I would have picked that first so that uh, so that I could have it for my podcast. But anyway, Randy, how's it going today?
2: It's going really well. As I mentioned to you, I am, uh, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and we're having some AC issues. So it's a little warmer than I'd prefer. But other than that, I'm doing fantastic. What's the temperature in Phoenix today? Think like we're going to hit 20. Yeah, 116, maybe 117.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, reminds me of Iraq in the summer to be honest with you. <laughs> That's the only other place I've been that gets that hot. So, wow, I, I don't envy you one bit, but uh, hopefully you get that fixed soon. Yeah.
2: Yep. yep, any moment now, hopefully.
0: Yeah. We're on a warm streak here in, in Idaho. It hit 90 yesterday and you know, we we were outside and my my kids were just like, "Oh my gosh, it's hot out here." <laughs> It's only ninety, you know, but uh, when you're used to less, it's you know, yeah. But anyway, let's uh, let's stop talking about the weather and start talking about I don't know apartments or something like that. But uh, Randy, do us a favor, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, so I'm, you know, as you mentioned, my name's Randy Smith. I am today the founder of Impact Equity, which is a real estate investment firm that helps the new or newer passive investor find their first or or their next passive investment deal we like to provide investors with an opportunity to find diversification across deals and operators and asset classes and geographies and give them that diversification that they were trying to find in the in the stock market as well so prior to this i've been i've been the founder of impact for about a year but prior to that i spent about 25 years in corporate america i was with A couple of Fortune 100, Fortune 200 companies um, in various sales and sales leadership roles, you know, finally got the itch to go down the entrepreneurial path and try to decrease my dependence on that W-2 because it seemed like every time I started getting comfortable, there were layoffs just around the corner or a new business strategy or something totally changing out of left field. And I was ready to step away from that about five or six years ago.
0: Was there a, a catalyst or a single moment that happened or did this kind of like build up over time?
2: Yeah, good question. You know, and it's interesting. So I I loved my career in corporate America. I did very well. I got a ton of accolades and won a bunch of awards. Mm-hmm. I I was a top performer. So I had uh, quite a bit of autonomy. I got to pretty much do whatever I wanted to do, but you know, I I had actually been laid off from another job that I was in for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And at the time when I got laid off. I had no other prospects. I had really nothing else lined up. I had put everything into this career. And while I did get a severance package, every day that ticked by, Mm -hmm. it got more and more scary of what am I going to do? How am I going to find a job? I started getting more and more desperate. Um, And then fortunately, just before that severance were to wear off, I ended up finding the other job and was just always in the back of my mind in corporate America. Every two or three years, there would be some reorg or restructuring or layoffs or yeah. whatever it was. So, in the back of your mind, you never really feel confident and you're just kind of waiting for something to happen, regardless of how good you are. It doesn't mm-hmm. even matter. Yeah. So that was kind of the big thing. And you know, as luck would have it, I spent probably five years investing in real estate before the last layoff occurred. Yep. and at at that point, I had a lot more options
0: now, were you investing in commercial real estate, single family real estate? What would that look like?
2: Yeah, so I started out in single family. Mm-hmm. You know, I I owned a couple of turnkeys in Kansas City, and then I did some Burr investing in Atlanta, Georgia. We actually did very, very well. We created a bunch of capital. We we had a lot of capital gains when we finally sold those houses. But a few years ago, we made the switch from active investing in residential over to passive investing mm-hmm. in commercial real estate, and that was really nice. kind of when that light came on, where it's like. Oh my God, if I put enough capital in this space and keep earning really good money, but then shift that capital over into the passive space, like I'll be set in three to five years. And ultimately that's kind of what happened. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's nice. It's nice, and and when you're talking about your, you know, your history, you know, I think most people who listen know I I spent 20 years in the military. I remember, you know, coming up at the end of a tour in 2009, I really, really wanted to get out, you know, but Mm -hmm. the economy was in a tailspin, you know, and it was part of the reason I stayed in was, you know, I. Didn't like where the economy was, wasn't 100% sure I'd be able to get a job or keep a job. And my dad, both my brothers and my sister had all lost a job in that year. And so it was just kind of like, I better cling on to this. I better hold on to this salary for a bit. But I mean, so yeah, there's always something around the corner, it seems. And that kept me in longer than I had originally intended. But yeah, Yeah. it's, it's something that happens to everybody. Now, going back, one one more question. You, you started out by saying that your your focus is on you know first-time apartment investors or, or people who are new to apartment investing is your focus. Why did you choose that as your focus?
2: Yeah, so as I dug into it, I ended up investing, I think, in 10 or 12, maybe 13 deals before I ended up getting laid off. Yep. And there's this huge line in the sand where corporate America just does not know about this space. Yep. And I know coming from that space that, You know, if you're in your late 40s and you're looking at your 401k and you start doing the math on that, Mm -hmm. it becomes pretty apparent that if I keep doing what I'm doing, even though I'm doing exactly what they tell me to do, max out the 401ks and try to Mm -hmm. set as much aside as you can, I'm still going to have to work till my like 60s. Yeah. And to me, it's just insane. I've seen far too many people that say they're going to do that. And then they start having health issues. Then they start um, quality of life really starts to to deteriorate. So it's important to me to help educate those people in that space that there's more options and yeah. you don't have to follow that 401k hamster wheel that they've been pitching for, you know, 40 years. So yeah. I picked that because it was a prior version of me ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's just easy for me to talk to that avatar.
0: It is. And that is the easiest way to pick an avatar is pick a prior version or pick a group that you already belong to. Some people have kind of a soft place in their hearts, and that that's kind of what becomes their their avatar. And it's, you know, nothing wrong with that at all. But I appreciate you sharing that. That's awesome. And I mean, you're you're right. It's interesting, you know, what I always look at what the investing marketplace classifies real estate as an alternative investment you know which it still makes me laugh every time i hear that because you know long before the markets existed you know real estate was the only investment you know but uh i guess it depends on how far back you go but anyway yeah that's uh that's that so let's uh shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the projects you guys have done so you know pick one that you
2: you like to talk about and let's talk about it a little bit my very first project on the active site again, after mm-hmm. getting laid off, was with a partner that I had invested with very, very heavily a, a group called Rise48 Equity. Most yep. most folks in the space know of them. They're a very, very big player. And you know, I, I ended up essentially sharing the deals that I had been investing with personally to my close network. And it was very easy for me to talk about those. And that first deal that I did with Rise48, call it, I guess it's almost uh, two and a half years ago. It was a classic, you know, B minus C plus value add 200 plus unit apartment here in Phoenix, Arizona. It was their classic, you know, um, paint lipstick on the outside, add a dog park, you know, fix up the gym, that type of thing, and then raise the rents. And ultimately we ended up going full cycle on that deal in 14 months and got Mm a 1.8 equity multiple. So it's really easy to get excited about those type of deals. And my excitement basically translated to my network because I had referred probably a million dollars to Zach and the team before I even left my W2. So it was the natural progression for me to to show like, I've been doing this and now I'm going to offer it to you guys And this is why I think it's so fantastic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Real estate. I mean, man, if if more people knew about this, you know, more people would be investing. You know, I I firmly believe that. And if the stock brokerages of the world or money managers of the world could figure out how to, uh, you know, make money from it, they'd offer it as well. So,
2: yeah. And I look at it too. Like, I didn't even know the syndication model or Mm -hmm. private placements. I didn't even know they existed when I was back when I was 44, 45 years old. And had I found that in my 30s or you know, gosh, I have some investors that are in their late 20s that are doing this. And it just blows my mind the opportunity that could be mm-hmm. in place by just putting small amount of dollars consistently over time, you know, dollar cost averaging into mm-hmm. deals. Yeah, I think our retirement age could be a lot, lot lower than it is today.
0: Yeah, but the government doesn't want us to stop working early. I mean, come on,
2: really. That's a good point. That is a good Uh, point. We need folks in the working. working We we need people working.
0: Yeah. And so I say that half tongue in cheek, but you know, I'm I'm probably more true. It's probably more true than I I want to believe. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, so lost track of thought. Now I found it again, found it again. Uh, My old age is creeping in. You mentioned, you know, back when you were 40 something, you know, I'm, yeah, uh, we're probably about the same age and, you know, that old man disease is creeping in. But uh, (laughs) so you mentioned kind of like some of the economic reasons for doing this. Can you go a a step or two deeper on, you know, why you're doing this? So basically what I'm asking is what is your why?
2: Yeah. So it's, I mean, anybody can talk about the dollars Mm -hmm. and I I think that that's a big, big piece of this, but I think the reason why the dollars become important is kind of that neck level. And my wife and I, we both came from families that I would say middle to lower lower income, mm-hmm. um, yeah. even though my family lived as if they were much better off than <laughs> than their income would present. Yeah. We both kind of were raised in, in, in an environment where we didn't have a lot. We ended up make a lot of mistakes with our finances for a lot of years that I did not actually end up digging my way out of until... I was in my late 30s and early 40s, transparently. So you know, why I do today, what I do is to really help those folks that are going down those similar paths and maybe be able to help educate and inspire them to a point where they don't have to go down those paths that I went down because there is nothing worse than carrying around credit card debt and other bad debt and ultimately being stuck in a job that you absolutely despise and hate because you got to make a paycheck to pay whatever all those stupid bills are that you have. So, well, the the almighty dollar not to go get the Lambos and the, the crazy vacations and all that stuff, that is part of the deal. But the bigger piece of that is really helping people kind of move away from this dependence on really an unhealthy dependence on bad debt and credit card bills and those types of things and help to teach them that there's a better way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, awesome. Well, last question for you, uh, and that's uh, what's next.
2: Impact Equity is still fairly new. I launched it about a year ago, but we've helped I think at, to date about eighty five investors, and yeah. our goal is to help a thousand investors with their first or next passive investment in the next ten years. So, really, it's building the systems, building the partnerships, building the infrastructure for an education facility that'll help bring those folks into the ecosystem. And then help them decrease their dependence on their, on their W-2. Nice. So that is the big plan. So basically,
0: you're going to keep on doing what you're doing at a higher level. Hoping to do it at an entirely different level.
2: Yeah. So I, I just read that book, the 10X is easier than 2X. Yeah. I don't want to go just a little bit bigger. I really yeah. want to shift to the next gear and be able to and impact a much, much broader population than what I've been doing up to this point.
0: So, I mean, one, one thing I always wonder if 10X is easier than 2X, is 100X easier than 10X? I think you can make the argument. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe that's what we should be trying to do is 100x instead of 10x. But uh,
2: I think that's uh, the next book in the series, maybe. Right.
0: Yeah. Maybe Maybe I'll write that one. You know, here's here's what I tried to, you know, tried to 100x things instead of 10xing things. I only got 50, you know. Darn it. Right. Darn. Yeah. All right. We're going to switch gears and uh, bring Tommy on. So, Tommy, what's up, man?
1: Hey, how's it going, Brian? Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thanks for coming on. Very, very much appreciate it. So, how are things going?
1: Good, good. Yeah, just starting to get some things in the works over uh, the past couple of months, shifting a little bit to, from single family to multifamily. So, mm-hmm. and good, new in awesome. the space. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Start with your,
0: your background, and I'll throw this out there before you start. Thanks for your service, by the way, because I'm sure that's probably going to come up, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my name is Tommy Fracco. I've been two years active duty uh, in the army as of last week. Actually, we go back to uh, my college years. My initial plan was to just save and continue to save. So working through college, working summers, working part time jobs, while going to school, because I just want to save and create a financial nest egg um, for my future. And a lot of that went towards stocks. Um yep. And the biggest thing that that pulled me towards things like stocks was dividends and, and the ability to compound and grow your wealth in a way. That was until I met uh, one of my roommates, actually, who was in the real estate space. Mm-hmm. His parents down in Louisiana owned about 90 units or so, all single family homes. So they had a, a quite a bit, uh, big portfolio and that's what they did full time. We're just running those those single-family homes. So I was very intrigued with that. I wanted to learn more about that and and pursue something like that, uh, knowing that I had a full-time contract uh, with the Army afterwards, something that could be done additionally, with that to supplement uh, a retirement in the future. So I graduate, and then I decided to take a a road trip down from my home state, Massachusetts, down to Louisiana to learn more about their business, to get more hands-on and and learn what they do in a day-to-day. Mm-hmm. I certainly learned a lot. I'm grateful for it to, to this day. So, um, but one thing I did, I, I saw that how much it took to run 90 single family homes and that there was bigger things out there that would create more leverage yeah. uh, and less time for myself. So, beginning off, uh, when I got back home, I made a plan to, uh, at my first duty station, to really take that first jump. I Mm -hmm. had some money I saved up in the past. I wanted to pursue my first deal while I was at my first duty station. And I knew doing a little market research Mm -hmm. back where that was going to be. Uh, And I knew the criteria I needed. Um, And then I pursued a a single family home Mm -hmm. with my fiance at the time, fixed it up. And uh, that was a long-term, I became a long-term rental. Um, And then shortly, a couple months after that, I found another single family and pretty much did the same thing. But the only problem was I just didn't have the capital. Um, just starting off, it's a big friction point that a lot of investors have, especially starting off, was not having the capital. So, got a little creative, did a little research, and, and found that I still had access to uh, what's called the career starter loan. And I used that uh, for a down payment and the ability to rehab the property. Yeah, fast forward a little bit. About four months after that, I joined a war room, uh, the mm-hmm. mastermind, which is called the okay. War Room, which is strictly military, prior service, active duty veterans who were at all stages of their career. Uh, as well as real estate endeavors, and then I—that's where I found my two other partners, and uh, we formed what's called uh, Rolling Rock Capital, and we look to leverage and grow ourselves up from there. Awesome. So That's where we sit today.
0: Awesome. Now I'm just guessing. I mean, you said a couple of years in the army, graduating college. I'm guessing you're mid 20s right now. You know, I first of all commend you for for starting so early. I think Randy and I are both on the other side of the table, looking back at you and saying, "Man." <laughs> I wish I would have done what he's doing right now, but uh, so great on that one. And, you know, good job being creative as well. I mean, I think uh, the career starter loan for people who don't know is something that there's a couple of financial institutions will give to military members when they're first starting out. You know, it's kind of aimed at, you know, getting you on your feet, you know, and. Buying all your uniforms, which are several thousand dollars, but you know some some institutions are going to give you like twenty k at uh, you know a really low interest rate. But that's what he's talking about. And I remember you know twenty something years ago thinking I should just take that loan and invest it somewhere. But the honest answer was I had no idea where. So anyway, good on you for figuring that one out and taking advantage of what's available to you. Thank you. All right. Well. So uh, next question, and then we'll roll into your questions. Actually, you'll have all the rest, but what's your reason? What's your why for doing this?
1: Yeah. no, Like a lot of people who are in the real estate space, it comes down to getting their time back. Uh, I believe that like capital has a lot of leverage to it. Mm -hmm. And I really want to take that and turn it into more time I can spend with my family, with my friends, uh, and really do what I want without in life. And a lot of that comes down to taking care of my family, taking care of my parents. They've been my biggest supporters. They were actually my first private investors uh, in a deal. Um, So they really believe in me. They really um, took a chance on me. So I want to get to the point where money is never a concern for them um, ever again. Uh, And then, I mean, I really joined the army, joined the military just to, to give back and to take care and protect, like protect people. So I, I don't know exactly what that looks like right now, but I know I want to be doing something to have a a greater impact on people's lives in the future. Because like I said, capital has a lot of leverage to it.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, here comes my favorite part of the show. Tommy, we got Randy on the line. What do you want to ask him?
1: Hey, Randy, what's going on? Yeah, I got a bunch of questions here. So looking at this from the perspective of an operator, as well as maybe someone who wants to passively invest in a deal as an LP, what does your due diligence look like on a deal?
2: Yeah, really good question, Tommy, and probably the most important question. But actually, before I answer that, I do want to thank you for your service, and and as as Brian did commend you for getting started so earlier in the space. It's amazing to think where you might be when you are Brian and my age. It'll be um, very very exciting, I'm sure. So yeah, so due diligence is. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's probably the most important thing for new investors or for operators or for potential partners to really dig into. And I think it can look like a lot of different things, and it really depends on where your strengths are. Myself, I am primarily a passive investor, so my biggest due diligence piece that I've always wanted to check in on is taking a look at track record, make sure that they have done what they say that they're going to do many, many times before possibly for years or decades, and then really just getting to know what that looks like. I know there's a lot of operators out there that they like to do a lot of different things. They might do retail, they might do multifamily, they might do self-storage or a whole combination of all kinds of other things. And personally, I don't like to work with operators that are doing a bunch of different types of business plans. I like really, really boring, same <laughs> thing, cookie cutter over and over and over and over again. With the same business plan that is tried and true. And they've, they've probably ran into a large portion of the issues that they've are likely to run into in the future. So I think first and foremost, always take a look at track record. Mm -hmm. Um, personally, I also like to spend, I use, since I am not a very, very strong underwriter, I can question uh, assumptions that are built into the underwriting, but Getting into the tools, I've not done the thousands of of underwriting on different deals, so I personally like to hire a third party underwriter to have them really do a gut check on the underwriting and make sure everything's you know perfect. So I find guys that are really 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 good at underwriting and make sure that they're underwriting well. I like to dig into the assumptions on exit cap rates, what are rent projections, or rent increases going to look like, expense increases going to look like. And then even um, spend even more time looking at the tax estimates and the insurance estimates and where they're getting those from, because those seem to be the two biggest areas that cause issues today. So, yeah, I think, you know, the, you could probably find a, a hundred questions for due diligence and um, on a deal out there pretty easily. But I think first and foremost, look at look at track record first.
0: I would say operators, you know, have to be number one. I mean, for good reason, you're asking that question. Well, one other thing that I would add, I mean, track record is important, but make sure you have shared values. I think that's that's more important. You know, it's I would say look at that before you start looking at track record, because that's gonna that will weed out a lot of people that you'll find out later you, you never want to wanna work with or you shouldn't have worked with in the beginning. So make sure you have shared value, shared vision for the future. That's sometimes harder to figure out than track record, but I think it's just as important to to make sure that you you align on those areas as well.
2: And yeah, you know, Brian, I think that's a really good point. I, um, I see so many times where people, they want to jump into partnerships and jump into investments like within 30, 60, 90 days of meeting an operator. And personally, I think it's really important to kind of sit on the sidelines and watch them for six, 12, 18 months before you definitely before you jump into partnerships, but maybe even so with, with other investments as well, because over any amount of time, an operator or a partner will show their true colors and it's far too easy for somebody to show up good on one 30 minute call. Much, much harder to do that over multiple interactions or different venues and and different things as well. So yeah, that's a really good point, Brian.
1: Uh, Randy, you say like you want typically like operators who are cut and dry, plain and simple, like relatively boring. Now, is that just for one asset class or do you like to see operators who can play the different fields? I think
2: track record starts long before people get into commercial real estate.
1: So you've got a track
2: record back to high school, into college, into your service right now. So I think your expertise can translate into other avenues. And ultimately, as a new guy just getting started, you have to rely on that because that's the track record and credibility you have to share. Now, for my personal investment dollars and my investors' investment dollars, I like to place my capital and have my investors capital placed with folks that have been doing one thing and one thing only for quite some time. So um, in fact, one of my operators, they were exclusively Phoenix, and then they started doing some stuff in Dallas. And I had no doubt that they would be able to make the transitions to Dallas, but I did not invest in their first couple or three deals that they did in Dallas because um, I love this operator more than anybody out there. But again, I want them to go um, test their skills, test their market knowledge, test their expertise on somebody else's dollars versus my own.
0: Yeah. Good point. And then something I'll, I'll add to that, kind of give you the, the opposite example. You know, I know a lot of guys that were raising capital for multifamily three, four or five years ago that have transitioned to something else, you know, and they're doing self storage or industrial or oil and gas or, you know whatever else has come up some people are doing like well i haven't seen one of these investment opportunities in a while but like the uh the bitcoin mining and things like that you know if and and where where that comes in is you know the people who invested with them 3 years ago on a 5 year hold you know now they're looking at okay they've they've now made like three pivots three transitions right now are they really taking care of my money you know i think that's that's really what uh, and i'm i'm not trying to put your words into your mouth, Randy, but I think that's what he's saying is he wants people who are boring, who are going to stick to multifamily long-term. And so he doesn't have to worry about, you know, whether or not two years from now, they're going to be doing something completely different.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it, like, I look, I look at a guy like you, Brian, you've been doing multifamily for years, right? And you might switch markets, but markets do change. Mm-hmm. And for you to pick up shop and move your whole operations to Salt Lake city is an example. Um, yeah. That is ab- absolutely something you can do. But if you were to move into mixed use retail storage or something, I don't know, like, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd want to see you have some experience before I'd give you some money there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now I'll tell you what I'm boring. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I do multi-family and I'm, I'm going to be doing salt Lake city for a long time. So I, I'd put money on the line today. I would bet you money today that you can come to me five years from now and I'm doing the same
2: thing. I might just, you know, put some dollars on that bet with you. So, (laughs) yeah.
0: All right. Tommy, back to you, man.
1: Yeah. If an operator were to approach you today to co-GP a deal, Mm -hmm. what are you looking for? And what questions are you really asking them before you really jump into a deal with them?
2: So it's a good question. It happens all the time. Once once I found a new space, like once you show that you can raise a few dollars, everybody and their brother wants you to raise capital for them. so, you know, generally what I do is I, I will have a nice polite conversation with people, talk about their track record, ask to be put on their distribution list and say, yes, let's definitely stay in contact. I'm going to watch on the sidelines. You know, if I can meet these folks in person, if I can walk their properties, if I the best thing possible is to be referred to them by somebody else is generally the best way for me to meet somebody. And actually how I met all of my partners, quite frankly. That probably has the strongest piece, but You know, the idea of asking for referrals to me is just kind of, it's the most silly activity in the world. Anybody's got two or three really great referrals they can give you. I want to get referred to them by somebody who's anonymous that has not been vetted essentially. So um, those are kind of the first things that I'll do. I I think strong, strong thing right there. Get to
0: know people and that's important. All right. I I don't have much to add to that one.
1: Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. Shifting more towards raising capital and attaining it for deals, it can certainly be one of the more challenging struggles and higher barrier to entry to get into something like this, especially for a new investor. What did it look like for you when you were first getting started, and, and what pieces of advice do you have for someone who could be new in this space?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, um, it, it's interesting. A lot of people think capital raising is easy, and people will go down the you know the GP side and want to get involved in the industry. And when they try that for a year or so and it doesn't go well, then they think, well, I'll just become a capital raiser because that's easy. And and what I'll share, um, yeah, Brian's laughing because he knows yeah. it, like capital raising, well, the, the bottom line is when, when you need capital, it's hard to get. And when you don't need it, it's really, really easy to get. So mm-hmm. now... It's, it's a little more difficult to, to get capital. So my journey was a little bit different. And when people early on asked me, what did success look like and why was I seeing success early on? I would say it's really, really easy. Just go be a sales guy at a top performing Fortune 100 company for 25 years and then become a capital raiser. That's how you do it. All joking aside, what it is, is like I've raised probably 80% of my capital from my network. And those are people that I worked with, people that were my clients, friends, and family. And then since then, probably my largest lead source now is referrals. So people that have invested with me have referred other people. So um, when somebody comes to me and they ask how to raise capital, I will always say, first and foremost, you need to be investing in this space so you have credibility and you can actually share your experience with somebody else because that will build trust like nothing else. When I talk to a new investor and I say, I'm personally in 24 deals as an LP. I've invested in nine operators across six different asset classes. I know what it's like to have Susie behind the counter at the bank tell me that my 50 grand is getting wired to somewhere in Ethiopia or something. I know what it's like to not have K-1s coming in time and have to get an extension for the first time in my life, right? I know what it's like where distributions to stop and know what kind of impact that has. So first and foremost, invest in some of these deals, okay? Secondly, I would say, take one of those deals you invested in and dumb it down to three or four slides and put your own branding on it and start circulating that around and tell everybody that you know that this is the type of deal that I raise capital for. When I find a deal like this, will you invest with me? Like very directly, will you? And after you get five to seven hundred thousand dollars in soft commits for that that magical deal, that becomes your asset, and then that's what you go shop to the people that you know, like and trust, and that you've already vetted. So that's kind of my you know five step process to capital raising.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I yeah. think transparency is extremely important as well. Just being upfront with people and be able to tell your story where you're coming from and and what that looks like.
0: I think when people say that it's easier to capital raise, going back to what Randy said, you know, if you're comparing it to the time it takes to find a deal and to get a deal under contract. And I mean, there's so much work that has to go into that before you can do that. So if you're starting from scratch and you're going to go find your own deal and potentially have other people raise for you, I mean, that's, that's a long process. If you're able to raise capital, you know that's where I think it's going to get you into your first deal faster. But that's my two cents on that phrase that uh, that came out. You know, easier to raise capital. But yeah, I think I think once again, Randy hit the nail on the head. You know, the better prepared you are, the easier it is. And you know, if you can invest first, definitely do it. So you can you can talk to your investors with an investor perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was shifting a little bit here, when you look at a I mean, this could be very deal specific. But when you look for like risk mitigation strategies, what are you looking for, or what do you like to see before investing in a deal, or or before bringing a deal to investors?
2: I mean, so risk mitigation is just basically like how can this deal go wrong, and what are the options to kind of fix it, right? So if you've got multiple exit strategies on the back end, that's a good thing. You know, if you've got one type of seller or one type of buyer and one type only that's going to buy this thing, you know, the more the the more um, specific that needs to be, the harder that's going to be to hit on the back end. So, um, you know, it's just like insurance. So if you are concerned about interest rates, get fixed rate debt, right? If you are concerned about property managers and you can bring it in-house, bring it in-house so you can control it that much more. Um, If construction, the same thing. That's why I like in-house construction and property management. The more you can control of this, And the more you can bring your expertise to the table, the better. So, fortunately, real estate is very, very flexible. In that, I mentioned I did some turnkeys early on. Like, those were terrible, terrible, terrible buys. I never should have bought them. I sunk so much money into them, but real estate is very forgiving. And since I didn't have any crazy type of financing on those deals, I held those just long enough to make a positive return on those. So, if you, have flexibility on when you exit. Over any amount of time, real estate's going to increase in value. And if you, you're you tied into selling at any given point, then that's going to just open up your risk. So put the things in place that keep you from having to make decisions and take action when it's not the most opportune time.
0: Now, I'm, I'm going to put my, uh, my old Marine hat on that I haven't pulled off the shelf in a while. One thing I think the military does very well is risk management, you know, and I think it's it's a different level, you know, when you're planning for, you know, combat operations, because the, the risk is a lot greater. I mean, you do bad in multifamily, you lose money, you do, you know, poorly in a combat operation, you lose people and lives, you know, so, uh, you know, the, the Marine Corps had a really, really solid risk mitigation program or risk management program. And essentially, I would say you, you take a page out of the Army playbook when you're looking at mitigating risks and just follow exactly what it says. I'm assuming the Army playbook is very similar to the Marine Corps playbook when it comes to that. So yeah, you list down all your risks, you try to mitigate them. And you know once you've done your best to mitigate the risks and establish controls, you reassess and say, is this still worth doing? And if the answer is yes, you go. If the answer is no, you don't.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Risk mitigation, making that what that looks like analyzing from every perspective, every angle. Another thing I'd like to add too would be backwards planning. You know, yeah. Beginning with the end in mind, like looking, seeing the project through all the way, like, yes, yeah. we can acquire this deal, but what would that look like on the back end when we go to either refinance or sell on it?
0: All right. Uh, we are about out of time. Uh, we're, we're kind of like on that little threshold, but we're, we're just going to call it now. But uh, one last question for each of you and uh, Randy, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you?
2: Yeah, probably the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn under Randy Smith, but I do have a website, Mm -hmm. uh, impactequity.net, and my podcast is The Gentle Art of Crushing It. And of course, for folks that are interested and new uh, that want to look into investing passively, I've got a really great guide, which is called The Sales Professionals Guide to Passive Investing in Real Estate. And it's a free download on my website, impactequity.net. Awesome,
0: awesome. We'll put all that information in the show notes. And Tommy, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you?
1: Yeah, for sure. So really easy find me on LinkedIn. So at under Thomas Farocco, uh, you can check out our page as well. Rolling Rook, R-O-O-K, capital mm-hmm. uh, pages on uh, LinkedIn as well. And then uh, follow me on Instagram at Tommy Farocco, all lowercase. Easy peasy. Awesome. Hey, well, thanks guys for coming on the
0: show today and uh, appreciate your time. And that's a wrap on this one. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.